everybody. Welcome to Inside Geocaching HQ, the podcast from Geocaching HQ in Seattle. I am Chris Ronan, username Rock Chalk, one of the lackeys here at HQ, and we thank you for listening to our podcast. On this episode, two guests. We will hear from Brian Roth, HQ's president and co-founder, about a number of things, including Year of the Hide and the geocaching 20th anniversary celebration. But first, Cindy Potter, HQ's Director of Community. As you may know, Virtual Rewards 3.0 launched recently. If you are eligible for one of these new virtual rewards, you have until February 26th to apply. So here is Cindy and me talking virtual rewards and other fun stuff. For anybody that has been under a rock for the last few weeks, uh, a new round of virtual rewards was announced by HQ. And uh, Cindy, you have been somebody who has been kind of spearheading this project and not just this one, but we've done a couple of, this is the third, this is 3.0, the third Mm -hmm. round of virtual rewards. So for for people that haven't heard about it, what is the, what what, what is the brief rundown of what virtual rewards 3.0 is all about? It's an opportunity if people would like to own a virtual cache and they didn't have an opportunity before, they can apply for one. And we, our estimate is about 50,000 geocachers qualify according to the criteria that we came up with. So as a lot of people know, virtuals a long time ago were allowed up until 2006. And then we didn't allow virtuals at all for 12 years. And they, there were problems with too many of them and not good enough quality. And there were countless problems, actually. But then in 2017, we did our first launch of virtual rewards. We did another one in 2019. And then this one is the third one. And that's why it's 3.0. You can think of it like a limited release of virtuals. So we will be releasing 4,000 virtuals, which is the same that we've released each of those launches. For somebody that thinks that sounds really cool, I'd like to be involved with this. As you mentioned, there is various criteria. We don't necessarily have to go through all of it, but what are the aims of this criteria? What what is HQ going for to in in having certain criteria for people to meet in order to uh, apply for one of these? Right, virtuals? great question. Well, our our sense is that we still like the idea of having them be special and to have people put effort into them, and so. We are, our intention is, is to allow a new set of people to earn these. So, so you wouldn't have somebody from one of the previous launches get one awarded to them at this time. So that's one of the criteria is that you did not previously receive a virtual reward. And then we sort of are basically looking at activity levels. So we want people that are remain quite active in the game and have hidden half, uh, at least one cache in the last four years. Now that cache could be an event cache. So you've posted and, and greeted people. And then you need at least 20 favorite points on your hides combined. That's one of the questions that is coming up and perhaps is confusing. But the 20 favorite points is it can include your archived caches. It's, it's all of your hides at any point in, in your ownership. So. We're just basically trying to make sure we're 
getting people that are active with the game and and by opting in it has given us an opportunity to find folks that already kind of have an idea of what might be a good virtual for their area so rather than us choosing you you actively are choosing yes i want to be part of this and interestingly in our 2019 launch so that was virtual rewards 2.0 we had 91% of the cash owners actually publish those caches which was a fairly high percentage and Partly because of COVID, it got extended two and a half years. So they had lots of time to publish. So that's part of it. But the other part is, I believe that because they opted in, they, you know, really had an idea and were already excited about doing it. This is the third launch. What kind of things have been learned, would you say, from the first couple? Because there have been a few changes that have been made since 1.0. And one thing, for instance, that was mentioned in the blog post was that there was a lot more geographic distribution of virtuals over the past couple of years. And there's, it's, it just seems like there have been a couple of adjustments that HQ has made in the criteria and, and how they're rewarded. And I'm Yeah. From 2.0 to 3.0, we did not change significantly. We made the criteria a little bit easier because we are really trying to reach to countries that are still growing with the game and we didn't want it to be too restrictive. So in a country like Germany, you could say, well, 20 favorite points, you know, I could get that by the weekend. <laughs> um, but uh, And we realized that. So a lot of people in Germany, a lot of geocachers in Germany qualify, which is great. Now, it means your likelihood to get a virtual goes way down in those countries, but in other countries, your likelihood would be quite high. And and there might not be as many premium members, so that's why not very many favorite points are being awarded. So we tried to expand that, and we yeah we have an algorithm that we use to try to help us to spread geographically as much as possible. I'm trying to think of what other, there are very minor changes in the guidelines. We also added an additional line in the tips that's something along the lines of, please try to keep it your experience to one day or less, you know, which seems like it's a no brainer, right? But sometimes people create virtuals that are just involve a lot of driving and, and can be quite frustrating for the community. And so that isn't a hard, fast rule. It's, it's a tip um, that we, we believe that that's what's wanted from the community. So hopefully that helps to answer your question a little bit. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite points of the blog post was you, 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 there were a number of statistics in there and a couple of graphs and talking about how the geographical distribution of virtuals has changed as the result of virtual rewards. So before, when you just look at the old virtuals, uh, the ones that were published back in the day, uh, I, I don't have the number right in front of me. You might remember it, but I think it was something like 80 something percent of them were in the United States. 81%, right. And now it has changed pretty remarkably over the last, over these first two rounds of virtuals. Right. Yeah, so there was 81% of the virtual. So so to be truthful, that pie graph is sort of the original virtuals that are still active today. So those were the numbers I was looking at, and 81% of them are still in the US. And you know, that's because the game was very, very active 
uh, prior to 2006 in the United States and, and not as active yet in some of the European countries that are so active today. But with, with these distributions, all three of the virtuals, we were very careful to distribute heavily outside of the U.S. Um, so that we could try to bring that to a better balance. And it's more exciting when you travel. You you want to be able to find virtuals. Sometimes I know with myself, if I've got my kids in tow and they're, they might say, no geocaching. <laughs> so they wouldn't know if I had kind of sneakily took a, taken a picture in front of a statue and, and got a smiley for a virtual. So I think they, they serve a great purpose. Oh, uh, another tip, though, I do want to pass along is that I, I do encourage people in this round to be thinking of their virtuals in a more adventuresome way, meaning, you know, think about some of your favorite hikes or places that people can't just drive up to. And I know it's it's hard because we only get one, but I, I am personally committed that if I get a virtual and I, di- I didn't in either of the other two rounds, but I, I do qualify if I get one, I am going to have mine be somewhere where you have to hike a distance, you know, and it's not a place you can just drive up to. So an advantage for me, I think, will be that I won't have as many logs to have to police and that I that I know that it will bring enjoyment to people that are that enjoy the outdoors and like to have that accomplishment that you get uh, by knowing there's going to be a smiley at the end. You, when you were talking about for yourself, just going out geo and with your kids and virtuals and all that stuff, it did make me think for myself. I I went on a trip this past weekend, and it used to be that if I went traveling someplace, virtuals were almost a must. I mean, just because there were so few of them out there, mm-hmm. and the problem with that way of thinking is that I would end up doing a lot of virtuals that honestly, they, some of those original ones. Some of them were good, but honestly, some of them weren't all that great, but they were rare. And so I felt like I had, I couldn't miss them. And now because there are a few more out there with these two rounds that we've done so far, and now the third round about to happen, I'm not like on this trip that I took, there were some that I, a couple of those older ones that I, I did, I didn't feel as that it was as necessary for me to have to go after those because they're not feeling as rare, I guess, to me, which I, I see as a good thing. I know some people will see that as a, oh no, they should still be rare. And, and, uh, but I personally think it's really positive that because there have been a couple of limited releases, that there have been some really high quality ones go out there. And, and I think you've looked at the statistics and can verify that from the first two rounds of virtual rewards, a lot of favor points. You look at log yeah. length, you, you look at various ways to, try to quantify what the quality is on these things. And it, it seems like it's been really positive. And I just know, for, I just, I'm just, that's an anecdotal story for me to say that I think that's one of the positive things for me is that I'm a little more selective about which virtuals I go after. And it tends to be based more on trying to see how quality they are. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. We did look at the stats fairly recently just of the virtual reward launches, and they have an average of 25% favorite points. And if you look at favorite points total, it's about 50, more than 50, 56, I think, uh, favorite points. But the percentage is, of course, more helpful. And 25% favorite points is, is pretty good for an average. Right. Um, so I agree. It's, it's nice, I think, when you don't have to feel that you have to 
clean all the virtuals out that you can be more selective. We also have today more virtual reward virtuals that are active than original. Oh, wow. So there's only 4,000 some original virtuals, 4,300, something like that. And there are 10,600 virtuals total mm. um, that are active right now. So you do the math in your head and you, you, you don't have to have very high math to know that it's going to be more new virtuals than old virtuals. But the funny thing is that, you know, 2017 was five years ago. So right. to anybody joining the game today, like those seem kind of old too. And it won't be too long until they're filling somebody's Jasmine grid. Right. Right. Well, and I and I just I, I mentioned the rarity of them too. And as you were talking about numbers, it just made me think for people that might be saying, oh, they're they they should stay rare. It still is only, I think we said 0.3% of caches in the world are virtual caches. So That's in the right. grand scheme of things, they're still very rare and, and very special. Right. If all the new virtuals that we're launching on March 1st, that we will, based on everybody that applies, we will choose 4,000 people and give them virtual rewards. Even if, if all of them published these 4,000 virtuals, we would still have 0.4% of all geocaches are virtual caches. So yes, I know there's an argument and that people feel very strongly in our geocaching community and we, we love their passion and their opinions, but uh, we, we really like making sure we have some new content out there. We mentioned in the blog post that this is part of the year of the hide, as, as HQ announced earlier this year. And we haven't talked on the podcast yet about year of the hide. What does year of the hide mean to you? Why, why do you feel that this is an important initiative? There's going to be a lot more coming out about mm -hmm. it over the next several months, a lot of projects and what have you. Not going to spoil any of that, but but just in in general, yeah. What um, what is your what is your what is your take on the whole initiative? Of course, this game is all about hidden geocaches, right? So Year of the Hide is a kind of a no brainer, but um, we're focusing on it more this year, and I I think it comes back to refreshing the game board. So not having refresh be a a, a bad word that we can't use, but thinking that. We want to make sure the game always remains vibrant and for people that are super engaged and have found all the caches in their area, I often hear them say, like, I have to travel 50 miles until I can find a new virtual or a new whatever it is or a new thing of a DT uh, combination. And so it just seems like it's worth all of us looking at our cache hides and thinking about, is that something that's kind of lived out its purpose, have most people found it? Is it time to consider either that I archive mine and, and place something new and make sure it has a different theme, a different container, different location, but still highlighting something, maybe the history that was on that cache page is outdated. You know, I see that all the time where you read on a cache page, it's like, gosh, that was, seems to have been written before the internet started or something <laughs> because it's mentioning like things that are outdated. And so I think some of us, we get excited about new stuff, but we don't look back at our old stuff and make sure it's still relevant. Uh, something that I thought of recently that I, is maybe a little more controversial, but I'd like to throw it out there is how people think about 
more than just micros. You know, HQ doesn't take a stand necessarily on like, you know, anti-micro, but I do hear people in the community griping about it. And sometimes we get pretty long emails with people saying, what is happening that everything being hidden is a micro? So if you put yourself in the shoes of a new family that's trying geocaching or, or even just a single person trying geocaching, isn't it more exciting to find a box that actually has something more significant than a, a piece of paper that's about a, a quarter inch wide, you know, even if it has the logbook and, and room for a trackable or a little painted rock or something. It's so much more fun. And so if we're thinking about like, okay, I, I'm I'm willing to hide some new stuff this year, maybe challenge yourself to think about increasing your container size and putting something more like a regular out there so that it will be a really good uh, experience for others. And not just a tricky something for your friends, but to think more broadly about what's best for the game. That was Cindy Potter, HQ's Director of Community. Next up, Brian Roth, HQ's President and Co-Founder. I caught up with him about how things are going at HQ and the geocaching 20th anniversary celebration and more. Here we go. All right. Well, Brian, let's start with how things are at Geocaching HQ right now. We are just almost two years into uh, the pandemic, and we've checked in a couple times here on our podcast about uh, how HQ is handling everything. And that's a question that I hear often when I'm out in the community. So what would you say to people about uh, how life is with HQ these days? Well, as always, it's been interesting. Uh, I would say we are about three weeks shy of two years of working remotely, uh, or at least since the March 5th, 2020 was the first day that everybody stayed home. And, uh, you know, quite honestly, as you know, things have never really gone back to normal. At this point, I would say late last year, Prior to Omicron, it felt like things were really moving in the right direction. And we started to see um, a few more HQ lackeys returning to HQ uh, voluntarily, of course. You know, we're not forcing anybody to come back to work uh, while, while there's still a global pandemic. That doesn't seem fair. And honestly, we're not going to be forcing anybody to come back to work again in, in the same way that was expected prior to COVID. Things have changed. Expectations have changed. We've learned what we're capable of doing remotely and, you know, figured that we can still be effective and, and serve the community in the way that we want. And so uh, we've also grown to understand just how much employees, you know, including myself, value the flexibility of being able to work remotely um, from time to time. So at this point, things are improving. You know, Omicron sort of set us back a little bit, and, and I think things got a little bit quieter in the office. We have 91 full-time employees as of today, and I would say the most that I've seen in the office over the last two years has been maybe 30, you know, and that's, I don't know, one or two days have, have been really those big days. Other than that, on a day like this, um, I haven't fully walked around because we had a, a board meeting. So I got to talk to Jeremy and Elias today. Today, I think there's probably less than 10 lackeys at HQ. 
I could tell you for me, I, I choose to come here every day. I really enjoy the walk from home. It's good exercise. And I find that it's just a, it's always been a great environment to work. Um, and I, I just love being here. And so Mondays are a little quieter. Mondays and Fridays are kind of the quieter days where I think people choose to work from home. Tuesdays and Wednesdays can get a little bit, I, I can't even say crowded because there there is no such thing as a crowded HQ at the moment. Uh, it's much more, you know, we'll get 15 people, 20 people. And it's really nice. I mean, after being here a year ago when there were days I was the only person in the office um, and it was kind of lonely and quiet. And, you know, for, for those people who have visited HQ, you know, there's a special energy here. And to not have that for such a long time was hard. You know, the, the people haven't gone anywhere, but they haven't been here. And so as we get as we get some of those days where more and more people are returning, it's exciting. You can you can feel it kind of in the air. And you know, I was I was just talking to to Jennifer Arterburn, our COO, the other day because we looked out and and two employees, uh, two lackeys had bumped into each other in the hallway and they were hugging each other. And I was like, how cool is it? Like we work in a place like, like people miss each other. Like they really care and, and they're hugging each other. And, you know, I, I feel the same way about everybody, but it's, it's just nice to, to be back. What else? You know, visitor center is still closed. We're not allowed to have guests in the office. Uh, we're still wearing masks. There's still a vaccine vaccination requirement. Um, you know, we're trying to keep, the the HQ employees safe. We are trying to keep the broader community safe. As of right now, we are allowing uh, domestic travel. Um, international travel is still off the table. Uh, we're hoping that that changes. And I know that there should be some uh, adjustments, at least in Washington state, in terms of the outdoor mask mandate and, and maybe an expected announcement about the indoor mask mandate. And I think I speak for everybody when I say we would love for all of this to be done and get back to some some semblance of normalcy as soon as possible. But I can't tell you when that is because I really don't know. One other thing that I would say is that we miss everybody. When I talk to all the lackeys, everybody is so excited to get back out and travel and go to megas and go to gigas. And I know we had a bunch of lackeys go to the Yuma Mega two weeks ago, and they came back with some great stories and just so much excitement about getting to be back with the community. I haven't done much travel at all. I know most of the company hasn't done much travel. And so we're looking forward to things opening up again so that we can get back out and see our friends um, all over the world and, and get to reconnect with people that now we haven't seen in a long time. So I think that there's still some caution here, but there's a lot of hope and a lot of kind of anticipation for kind of getting back back to geocaching in the way that we, that we knew it um, in the past. And hopefully we're not too far from that. We are speaking on the day when we announced that merchandise pre-sales are available for the 20th anniversary celebration that is scheduled for August 20th at the Seattle Center. We hope we're crossing our fingers and all of that stuff. We're still looking at the calendar, what, six months away almost, six months and four days. Uh, so it it feels like a lifetime away. And yet, I, I guess we're all hopeful, right? And And we'll continue to monitor the guidance from health authorities and all that stuff and see where things go. 
Absolutely. And, you know, nobody's got the crystal ball that's going to tell us what six months and four days is going to look like. And so we want to be optimistic. And, you know, you and I have talked about this in the past. It's like, we really want to have this celebration event, but we only want to have the celebration event if people can attend, you know, and that's not just people from the United States, as much as we want them to attend, if, if our international you know, geocachers can't attend the event, then it's really not, it's not the event that we're looking to put on. And, and I know, you know, we have not yet made a decision. We are looking at the factors and I think, you know, we want to give as much notice to the community as possible. So I would say likely within the next few weeks, we're going to have to make a call, go, no, go and make an announcement. And I, I certainly like, like you, we hope that we can make it happen and we hope that everybody can come and we can have one big summer celebration of geocaching in Seattle, celebrate the uh, 22nd year. It's funny, we have a, uh, one of the decorations for the 2020 event was a big inflatable two zero. And we said, oh no, you know, what are we going to do? You know, it's not the 20th and 20th year again. And we said, well, we've got to buy a, an inflatable 22 anyway and so now we have 2022 so we're spelling it out with four four digits instead of two digits so little pragmatic adjustment but hopefully we get to do that because if it's a if we have to cancel it this year it's very unlikely that we would do it next year we would probably just push it off until 2025 and make it 25th anniversary celebration you know at this point in time i really don't know I wish I I wish I had more information. I wish it was clear what was going to happen with COVID, but uh, like it's been for the last two years, it just has not been clear, and it's not a problem that just Groundspeak and Geocaching HQ has to figure out. This is society at large on a global scale, and so here we're thinking about what what do we do for a party, and you know that's that's a pretty small problem to have compared to some of the challenges that that are experienced by other players and communities around the world. So, you know, we don't take it for granted and we're going to do our best as always. One thing I wanted to touch base with you about was this being the year of the hide as, as HQ has uh, announced uh, earlier in the year and throughout this year, we'll have various projects and fun surprises for the community related to year of the hide. One of the topics of the year of the hide that we'll be touching on uh, during the course of the next several months is the idea of refreshing the game board. And it's something that we talked about in the blog post when we announced Year of the Hide and something that I know you've spoken about publicly. And so I just wanted to get your thoughts on this. Well, the notion of Year of the Hide, first of all, why is that important, do you think, to HQ? This It, it seems hides are are integral to geocaching, but something that we haven't really called out in this way. And, and so it, it seems exciting to be able to put this level of attention on cash hiders and what they bring to the game. And, and again, what, did it, what, an, what an important part of the game hides are. Absolutely. I mean, geocaching is effectively a global game of hide and seek. And as we know, if there's if there's not a lot of hiding taking place, there's not a lot of seeking taking place. So they're they're kind of codependent. And then I think, you know, it's been 22 years of this game, and there are I think there's 3.3 million active caches worldwide right now, and that's 
that's a lot. And there are there are really active players who have cleared out the game board in their neighborhood or in their city or in their in their town. And if there isn't a an ongoing refresh uh, refresher of the game board or refreshment of the game board, well then you run out of interesting things to do or you have to work harder to go do them. And and it doesn't have to be that way because while there are some absolutely exceptional caches out there that will create experiences for geocachers for years to come, you know, those should remain. But there's also some mediocre caches, some marginal caches that are out there that, hey, they were placed. It was, it was cool. A lot of, you know, everybody in town already found it. And so the question is, should it just stay there in hopes that you know somebody's going to find it every six months or every three months, or maybe archive the cache if it's not um, one of those truly special caches? If everybody's found it already, or if most people have found it, if you archive that cache and that cache gets replaced with something new, maybe something more creative, or even even at the same level of creativity, all of a sudden everybody in town's got something new to find. It, it not only, you know, refreshing the game board essentially refreshes the game for the players because now there are new experiences that are available. And, and as all geocachers know, the nature of this game is about people who have hidden these boxes out there, hidden these geocaches to create an experience for other people to enjoy. And once those experiences have been enjoyed, you really have to look at, well, what is the value of this now? Certainly, this represents the potential for the next geocacher to come along. But at some point, you know, a certain area only gets so much traffic or, again, everybody in the area has already been there. And then, you know, it's sort of diminishing returns. The value of that cash to the community isn't as, as significant as it was on day one. You know, a brand new cache, you've got the first to find, you've got the second to find, you've got, oh, well, I haven't found that one yet. Tell me about it. Let's go out together. There's all these potential experiences that can be had. Well, once those experiences have been had, uh, particularly by a lot of people, well, then we should be looking at opportunities for how do we create new experiences? How do we create more fun? And so that refreshing the game board represents a step in that direction. It's basically not just teaching people how to create great experiences and how to create great caches and inspiring them and incentivizing incentivizing them to do that. But the other half is the benefit that comes to all the players if people are truly engaged in great cache placements and great cache hides, because that that benefits everybody. The Cash creators get the the knowledge of you know the the knowledge and reward of having giving given something else to the community, and all the players get to enjoy a brand new experience that wasn't there before. And this is a thought process. This is being that is being suggested. It's not HQ saying if your cash has been out for X number of years and it doesn't have X number of favor points, you need to get rid of it. This is HQ through the year of the hide suggesting. That's the key word, I think, to think about it, like you were saying, to just think through, hey, you know, how often does my cash get visited and uh, how much do people seem to enjoy it? And if they love it and if it's still a cool cash, great. It can, you know, yeah, keep it there if, if you'd like to. 
Exactly. If your cache is, you know, you're absolutely right. We're not telling anybody, hey, you go archive your cache. It's an old cache. Um, or or it's been found a lot of times. Like at the end of the day, the decision remains with the cash owner if they want to, you know, refresh their own, you know, local game board or something like that. But what we what we are asking is as a cash owner, or even as somebody who hasn't placed a cash before, think about what you want to give to the community. Do you, you've given, you know, your cash has been out there for eight years, for 10 years, for 12 years, and hey, it's being found two times a year. And, and, and if it's urban and it's being found two times a year, you know, that's one thing. If it's, you know, a three-day hike to go find the cash and it's being found two days a year, that's a totally different consideration. So we're really asking geocachers to look at their caches and say, hey, can I make this better? Can I, you know, has this cache seen its day? Is there a reason to really keep it you know, is it getting, you know, consistent favor points? People are loving it and we're getting great logs all the time. By all means, don't change a thing. But if it's like, hey, it's sort of languishing. I'll, I'll tell you, I had a cache that I placed over at Marymore Park, which was where I met Heidi and Dylan uh, 20 years ago. And, you know, give or take at, at this point. And the cache was there for a few years. And I had gone a couple of times and, and done maintenance. And then at one point I said, you know something? It's an average cache. It was there. I placed it. It's been out. I think it was out for six or six or eight years. And I said, you know something? This is a nice spot. If I get rid of this cache, somebody else is going to place a cache here. And then other people, you know, the people who have already found my cache are going to get to go, go find this, this new cache, including me. And so I pulled the cache and archived it. And, you know, I wasn't sad about it. I felt like, okay, this cache had its day. It was time. And now I should go place a new cache somewhere else or, or think about it, the next kind of experience that I want to give. And I think if the year of the hide helps people reflect on something like that, you know, the best thing that can come out of it is people say, you know, I'm going to refresh my area. I'm going to, you know, you're going to refresh your area. And if everybody is thinking about this, all of a sudden we have an influx of new caches, maybe get rid of some of the old ones that that aren't so relevant anymore. And that's good for the game. That's good for the hiders. That's good for the finders. And, and it's good for the overall game. And that's something that that's something that we would love to see. That was Brian Roth, HQ's president and co-founder. We also heard from Cindy Potter, HQ's director of community. A lot of interesting things happening as 2022 rolls along. If there is something you would like us to cover on the podcast, send an email to podcast at geocaching.com. That is podcast at geocaching.com. We really do appreciate your feedback. Until next time, from me and Brian and Cindy and all the lackeys at Geocaching HQ, happy caching.